All right, take two. We're back. Hopefully this works this time. Mike Crawford, Young Jerks. We're experiencing technical difficulties, which seems to happen a lot since we're in this Zoom era. But it's okay. We come back. We got a great guest. We got good uh, support helping us out. Thank you, Grant Smith. Again, my name is Mike Crawford. And we also have great listeners letting us know right away that there was an issue. If there's any other issues, please let us know. Again, my name is Mike Crawford, hosting Young Jerks. We have a great guest. Uh, her name is Lisa Conine, and I'm just going to have her introduce herself and tell us about herself. Uh, she's been, what you missed earlier, which I heard, is uh, she told us about how she's been a cannabis advocate and a cannabis patient since the age of 15. Um, and really why we have her on tonight is because she was recently fired from a dispensary called Ohm, Ohm of Medicine, uh, which is now owned by Forefront Mission Dispensaries which a lot of people know in Massachusetts, Mission Dispensaries, Chris Crane, Forefront Advisors. Um, so we have Lisa on, she was just recently fired on the day that a union was basically announced that they presented some papers and she was fired that day. And we cover a lot of uh, union and cannabis issues. So we wanted to have her on. And so Lisa uh, Conine is the guest and I uh, just wanna, introduce her and have her tell us a little bit about her history, who she is. Yeah, thanks, Lisa. Mike. Um, really happy to be on tonight and sharing um, some really important information. Um, yeah, just to give a little background on myself, like Mike had mentioned, I've been using cannabis since the age of 15, um, using it to treat the symptoms of Crohn's disease. And I just began advocating for cannabis just based on my own experience and um, got connected with the advocacy community here in Michigan and found my way into the industry that way. Um, I came on board four years ago at the Ohm of Medicine as their community outreach coordinator, which essentially um, meant that we were really passionate about taking the work that we did in our facility and extending it out into the community and educating on cannabis, changing policy, um, but also creating a community space within the walls of the facility. So um, a lot of, a lot of uh, relationship building and compassionate service um, was involved in that. And um, yeah, it was something I was extremely passionate about and still am. I come from like a social work background, so it was a very um, easy fit there. So, And you also, you know, have a history uh, with like the Hash Bash, is that correct? An event out there in Michigan? Yeah, yep. So um, Hash Bash is a rally that takes place in Ann Arbor every year. Um, and Oma Medicine was heavily involved in planning that event. So um I had the privilege of taking part of that as well. Awesome. And so what recently, well, there was a couple of stories that came out. You have a petition as well about this union fight at Mission Dispensary, um, which is the Oma Medicine owned by Forefront Mission Dispensaries. Um, you were recently fired. And in one of the stories, it said that there was a, a, a lawsuit, that the three of you were going to file a lawsuit. Um, who did you file it against and where was it filed? Was it like a civil suit? Is it, there's a lot of ways you can file. So I'm just wondering how, what it didn't say in the story. Yeah. Yeah. So just to clarify, it was um, filing for wrongful termination charges with the national uh, labor relations board. Um, so because we had formed a union and then we're fired um, right after that, we um, filed those charges. So that's, essentially the process that we're going through, but I'd love to kind of back up and give um, 
context and background to kind of how we got here. Um, so like I said, I've been working at Oma Medicine for four years and almost two years ago is when we were told about the acquisition with Forefront. Um, and shortly after that, we um, started to notice a lot of changes within leadership within the the corporation um, after they merged with Canex. Um, Forefront initially came in and told us that they respected the legacy of Ohm and they were going to keep everything intact and build on the foundation that we had created at Ohm, um, which was very grassroots, um, community-based type of work. Um, and then quickly, you know, we started to notice those priorities shifting from advocacy focused to profit-based um, motivations. And so um, myself and Brianna Worthing and Anna Gamolka, who are the other women that were fired um, the same day as myself, um, we were the three loudest in the process um, since we were told about the acquisition, just engaging every step of the way with the company and with management at our store to make sure that, you know, the integrity of the work that we engaged in was preserved, um, you know, and that's patient care, um, community reinvestment, social equity, those types of things we wanted to see continue and grow. Um, and so we, you know, would push back on a lot of the changes that would come come down and we tried to be involved in creating solutions and um, making sure that we we're protecting our community and our patients. Um, and not because we were trying to be, you know, difficult, but because we were trying to protect, you know, our community and our coworkers and also the plant itself. Um, and so, yeah, so things, you know, were slowly changing. And then, um, you know, back in late spring, early June is when things started to escalate at our store. Um, you know, a couple months prior to June, we had realized that, um, we had a social equity plan at Oma Medicine, um, but it's something that wasn't implemented or that anyone in the store knew about. Um, so essentially in the state of Michigan, there's a social equity program that requires all adult use licensees to have a social equity plan written into their business plan. Um, however, we realized that the state of Michigan isn't enforcing that those plans are actually implemented. And so we realized that and we were like, hey, we've never even seen our plan. Um, let's figure this out. And so Anna especially took that on as, um, you know, her main focus of how we can really center yeah. our work around not only having a successful social equity plan at home, but inspiring the rest of the state of Michigan to do so as well. And then also, you know, engaging with the rest of the country and the efforts that are already taking place. Um, and so essentially while we were realizing this, um, the diversity community and inclusion director at Forefront was laid off, as well as a number of other individuals at the corporate level were left let go of, um, and also a woman who um, ran the social equity fund that Forefront had. And so they were laid off and we were told it's just because, you know, the company didn't have money for them anymore and they were trimming the fat was the exact term that I was told many times. Um, and so we were really concerned, like, okay, how, how is their work being continued? There was no plan ever presented around how this was going to continue. Um, and then we saw that the plan at home wasn't even being implemented either. So we just kept engaging and trying to ask questions and figure out what was going on. Um, and so as that was happening, um, 
then, you know, things really coincided with um, the uprising of Black Lives Matter protests following the murder of George Floyd. And we had an incident actually that happened like a few days after at our store where we had a Black employee who was really uncomfortable with a situation. He was put in as a delivery driver um, and management on, on staff at the time did not handle that situation well or understand, you know, why he would have been concerned about the situation he was placed in. And so that scenario... Before you go by that, because I want I want uh, touched on that more because I think I get what's going on there, but I don't know if everyone does. Okay. So the black delivery driver was asked to go somewhere he said he wasn't comfortable with. Yeah. Which generally, I'm guessing is like a really like, like what like a rich white town like. Uh, so it was like near Howell, Michigan, which has you know a lot of ties to the KKK. Um, and so, yeah, he he voiced that and the managers on staff that day um, had him go anyway. Um, they didn't stop to ask, you know, why he was uncomfortable or what they could do to um, offer an alternative. And so he did end up going on that route and ended up turning back and coming um, back to the store because he felt so uncomfortable with the number of Confederate flags he was seeing in the community and things like that. Um, and so yeah, that- I'm glad I asked that question because I assumed it was like uh, Weston or something, like where the cops are just jerks. But you're talking about like Confederate flags because we don't think of that where I'm at generally in Massachusetts. Yeah. I mean, it's been getting crazy. Uh, we have Lisa uh, Conan on the line. We, we, she has a lot more to get to. Um, but I am going to try to take a call, if you don't mind. I just want to see who's on the, who's calling in. Because we got a lot of listeners right now. Let's hear what they got to say. Who, who's on the phone right now? Uh, yeah, I'm just calling in the show. Awesome. You're on the air. What's your name? Uh, my name is uh, Worm. Worm. What do you got for us? Yep. And Lisa. Well, I just wanted to uh, to comment about that individual who was uh, forced to uh, to go out and make that delivery. Go ahead. Hey, my name is Worm. How's it going? Good. You're here. So d tell us about the... Well, I'm what just uh, really concerned about that individual who was uh, who was sent out to make that delivery. I think that's just uh, completely out of line. And um, I definitely think he shouldn't have been disciplined for, for what he did. Okay. Thank you, Worm. I really appreciate the call. Have a good one. Bye. Thanks. The reason I had to cut off Worm is... Uh, my upstairs producer just came down and said, the phone, you can't hear the phone call. We, we, I swear to God, we've gone through this a million times. We hate Google. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. Um, I mean, I would have liked the calls. He was, he, he was upset about what happened to the driver as well. So thank you for the call, Worm. I'm sorry I had to cut you off so quick. Sure. But uh, thank you to all of our listeners for letting us know. The phones still aren't working. But go, uh, Lisa, we should get back to your story. Absolutely. Yeah. So essentially that scenario um, really sparked a lot of conversations within the staff at our store um, and really wanting to come together and create a plan of realizing that there was a lack of understanding around racial issues within our store amongst leadership. And then there was also a lack of, um, you know, systems in place to ensure that um, employees feel safe and that they can come to managers and speak about why they might not feel comfortable with certain scenarios and have that actually heard. Um, and so essentially we began to gather outside of work in a very organic manner and 
began to come up with plans to respond to this issue, not only within our store, but within the company at large. Um, and so we created a plan of response and we brought those um, action steps to leadership. And, um, excuse me, at first, you know, we were met with, um, they listened to us, I'll say. And, you know, we were able to get implicit bias training implemented at our store at home, which was incredible and we were so thankful for. Um, but we had suggested that that be implemented throughout the company as well, including executive leadership to undergo that training and engage in a conversation around what they learned. Um, and that was not met with um, the same amount of just consideration at all. Um, we were actually, you know, immediately after that conversation ended, we were reprimanded for speaking up in that way for making, dare I say, demands of our leadership that we wanted to see different um, behavior. And um, Anna, who is the only woman of color out of the three of us, she was actually formally disciplined for organizing that meeting outside of work and told that she was creating an exclusionary environment, um, which is actually quite the opposite of what happened that night. It was actually one of the most beautiful um, nights that I had in terms of listening to other people's lived experiences and really coming together as a group and experiencing that level of unity and then creating solutions from that um, was actually a really powerful experience. And um, you know, we tried to share what we learned from that and then they, they really wanted to squash that efforts from us. Um, and so, yeah, they, they weren't open to, to doing any type of anti-implicit bias training or, dare I say, take a firm stance on actively um, dismantling racism in, in the cannabis space and in our world. And so, um, you know, things just began to escalate over the summer as our employees of color were experiencing more tension as the tensions in our world increased, um, experiencing harassment and discriminatory comments from staff, or excuse me, from um, the public coming into our store. And so we kept trying to engage in this conversation of how we can create more safety in our workplace and how we can actually um, create changes as a company um, around these things. And then, you know, things really escalated in September, um, the beginning of September, when the employees at OM found out that OM had donated this year to the Washtenaw County Command Officers Association. Um, and that was extremely upsetting to many of us, as you can imagine, um, especially black and brown employees who um, thought that they, you know, were working in a place that cared about their experiences, but then they were slowly realizing that they weren't and then came to learn that the very store that they work in was donating to an institution that is also killing their communities. Um, and so many people spoke out about this and we brought our concerns to management and tried to um, communicate with them about these things and, um, call them in to a courageous conversation about how we can create change. And instantly we were met with just completely people shutting down and saying that these conversations cannot be had. This is too divisive. Um, we sell weed and that's it. Um, and so it was very clear that, you know, this type of environment wasn't 
what we thought it was, wasn't what we were told it was um, going to be. And so um, this whole time we had been con continuing conversations around unionizing and um, reaching out to UFCW and learning what our options were. Um, and then, you know, this, this incident happened in September and actually the COO of the company tried to get the three of us to quit by basically saying that, you know, you can't be political. We can't give you the platform that you're looking for. You the um, is this, that's not Chris Crane, is it? No, no. Um, his name is Joe Feltham. Okay. I think. You know, for a lot of us in Massachusetts that have known Chris for a while, mm -hmm. it, a lot of this is surprising. Like some people don't want to believe it. They don't want to deal with it because he's helped people here. You know, like one yeah. of our friends who got arrested, uh, a firefighter. I know he helped him. Um, mm -hmm. And I know that he's helped people of color. He's very progressive. He's helped with a lot of the laws and the, you know, he was a part of SSDP, Students yep. for Sexual Drug Policy. But mm -hmm. at the same time, it, it, to me, it's almost not surprising because all I've seen from big cannabis doesn't surprise me. It just, it's, I, you know, I guess it's surprising because it's forefront and it's mission. Mm -hmm. But I think the thing that really got to me this week, and I have talked to Chris about this off the record. He hasn't given me anything on the record, but the thing that really got to me was the statement that they gave um, in that newspaper article, or I don't even know if it was a, you know, a website, newspaper, whatever it was, the mm -hmm. article that we've been all looking at, I should actually bring it up on the screen, but their statement reminded me of New England Treatment Access and some of the other dispensaries we've dealt with locally that have been union busting. That, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I was really surprised by the statement that they gave too. I don't know if uh, Chris Crane is listening or anyone from Forefront is listening right now. Uh, I would love to take the calls, but we're not going to take any more calls right now. I almost want to shut this whole thing down because the phone lines aren't working. So we can't take any calls. Please don't call right now. But what I was saying about Chris Crane in Forefront themselves is they shouldn't be giving statements like that. Like that statement is just ridiculous. It sounds like New England treatment access. Like, you know, I'm just, I'm surprised yeah. that this is going on right now. So yeah, about, cause I know some people in Massachusetts are going to kind of be surprised by this. Um, yeah, but, so well, maybe not. Cause I see our phone lines lighting up and look at it. I knew <laughs> everyone wants to call. They have a story. Everyone's got a story tonight. Not tonight. I want, I'm going to shut down my Google Hangouts. No more phone calls. So go ahead. Lisa. Yeah, so um, I have many thoughts um, on all of that. And, you know, before I kind of continue on with the order of events, I want to just pause and say that, yes, Ohm of Medicine and Forefront have had an incredible impact on the cannabis space and on the movement in general. And no one is negating any of that. Um, but when the time comes and calls for you to rise even more and stretch yourself um, to be an even more courageous leader in the way that you engage in this space, um, you can't just continue to hide behind your past contributions as a defense against failing to rise to this occasion. Um, and that's what we saw and what we continue to see is that um, 
instead of turning around and facing this, facing the concerns of their workers and engaging in a solution-based process, they're doubling down and harassing employees and making people feel even more unsafe than they did before. Um, so to kind of back up and give you more context, so where I left off is that we were being, you know, encouraged to quit because the ideologies don't match anymore. Um, and we, you know, refused. I, I wanted to stay and see this work through and support the workers there and complete uh, forming this union. And, um, then a few days later, we presented our letter of recognition. And then that's when they fired the three of us right after. So myself, three and Anna, um, they told us that they were eliminating our positions and that they no longer fit the structure of the company. So essentially community outreach coordinator, patient care coordinator and social equity program coordinator no longer fit the values and the structure of the company moving forward, which we were told many times within that week is to clock in, sell weed and keep your head down. Um, and so, yeah, shocking to all of us as well, um, knowing the, the uh, you know, reputation of Forefront and Ohm and the people who are supposed to be leaders within that organization. Um, totally get it. What was that? A lot of these fools you can like look at and say they just don't get it. But you'd think Forefront would get it. They have to get it. Yeah, yeah. And so... Um, yeah, that's been like the the most troubling part of all of this. And, you know, since that day, since we were fired, um, the environment at the store has, like I said, turned extremely toxic. Um, and they're engaging in all the classic union busting tactics and bringing in a consultant to start intimidating employees and um, trying to break up the unity that we have, um, which you know isn't going to work. We have an incredibly strong team there, and everyone is super passionate about what we're doing and why it's important. Um, but it's still extremely upsetting. And basically, you know, what we're focused on now is just getting the employees to the vote and making sure that they are staying healthy and that they're taking care of themselves in the meantime. Because it's been extremely hard on everyone that's still in the store. Um, and so, yeah, we are unionizing to first and foremost protect workers' rights from corporations coming in and imposing things into communities that don't match the values of that community and also to fight for racial justice in the space and also to protect our environment and um, to just in general resist exploitive systems um, and unionizing is one of the ways that we can do that. And when is this, I know the union vote's been announced, when, when is the election? Vote. Yeah, so it's supposed to be um, November 17th, um, but some of the details are still, you know, getting worked out and um, some might say being stalled from the company itself to try to delay the vote. Um, but we're not worried. We're excited. And all the workers are very excited as well. And um, we know that we're going to have a victory. And, um, you know, we're more excited about like the larger picture that that this really means for all of us in the cannabis space and just in our world. Um, you know, first, because, we, we, you know, it's 
I love that we're having this conversation tonight because you're in Michigan. For people that don't realize, we're, we're dealing with the same companies in Massachusetts where I'm at as mm -hmm. you're dealing with Michigan. My friend is in New Jersey, uh, you know, so uh, Lefty Grimes. We're all dealing, starting to deal with some of these same companies, the same issues. We, I mean, in Massachusetts, just today, big cannabis struck back against us. We finally won. Uh, social equity was going to get the del delivery only for recreation, first dibs at it. Mm -hmm. And they're basically stalling uh, the Cannabis Control Commission, who's now having another listening se session that none of us expected. Uh, we, we, we're feeling it, but we're, we're starting to win. And uh, you guys, like in Massachusetts, we just saw Sarah sign the first union contract. And we're starting to see, you know, the same fights here where people are blocking elections. There's dozens of uh, suits filed at the National Labor Relations Boards against these dispensaries. A lot of them are starting to come down. They're losing. There was a loss this week. We're going to have Fabricio on the show, De Silva from UFCW uh, 1445 on Friday night to talk about New England treatment access, what's going on locally. But here we're dealing with a situation in Michigan and it sounds like all the same stuff. Mm -hmm. You guys, like what you're, what you're doing right now, Lisa, in Michigan, which will be historic if you win on November 17th, is you're going to have the first union, right? In cannabis in Michigan, in the state. That's a huge state. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, with a very, um, you know, new and growing industry as it, as it relates to the adult use market um, just beginning this last year. Um, so yeah, what, what we're really realizing is that this, this is not just happening here at home. It's happening everywhere in Michigan as well. And since we started speaking out, we've had so many people reach out and share their experiences as well. And what, you know, I've learned and the people that I've worked with, um, really, we all share a common understanding that we want to see an industry that reflects the nature of the plant itself. And, you know, this is a plant that we're talking about that has a feminine essence, and it's connected to all parts of the world and all parts of our society. And it's interwoven into ourselves as humans. And it's a plant that has an essence that wants to be treated with respect, and was never meant to be used for exploitation and greed and dominance. And, only used as a never ending push for growth and progress and gains and profits and that's it. That's not what this is supposed to be about. And so that's what the workers understand and that's what a lot of the workers want to see. Um, and also we wanna see you know, a space that actually takes ownership over racial justice and racial equity and is a leader on that so that not only we can create that in cannabis but that we can see that beginning in other industries as well because this needs to happen everywhere um, because the systems that we're in have been exploitive and oppressive to especially black and brown people. And so all industries need to recognize that and take ownership of that and work every day to dismantle and repair that. And so, you know, again, a lot of the workers that I've met and talked to also agree that being a cannabis business um, and not having a firm position on racial justice and not having a firm and clear action plan on how you're going to repair those harms um, and also how you're going to protect our planet while you grow and produce it um, just shows that you really don't have any business 
in the business. Um, there's plenty of people who understand that that want to create um, new systems and want to repair things and heal each other um, that don't have access to the resources that those in power right now do. And so there's a, a huge imbalance that we're seeing and that's just being exposed right now um, even more than we ever thought. And, you know, I've been told many, many times that cannabis industry is a new kind of industry. Um, but so far, I'm not too impressed um, with it being a new kind of industry at all. It seems to me like the same old things being repeated. Um, and I think the reason why we're not seeing anything different is because those in leadership aren't willing to do the courageous work of examining their own shit. So meaning your own biases, your own internalized capitalism, your own internalized white supremacy and internalized patriarchy and how that might be showing up in your organization in the way that they run and the positions that they hold and how you treat your workers. Um, that's the governor in this state. He's a Republican, but he's supposed to be progressive. But when, when you look into it, he, he says he's, uh, you know, he's good on racial bias and all that stuff. But when they actually look into it, it was like, no people of color on his staff and like maybe a couple of white women. Like it was just, it's, it's such BS when they acknowledge it, but they don't actually practice it. It's like, come on. And, and I yeah. see this a lot in the cannabis space. They specifically, yeah. it's just endemic. Um, and, you know, it's funny because I, I just want to, let everyone know that's, you know, may, maybe you just listen into us for the first time, we're the young jerks, but for our longer term listeners, we've obviously exposed a lot of things uh, like mold at New England Treatment Access and different scandals among dispensaries recently, and we're kind of on it all the time. We're going to be doing a lot more. We, we are like tripling down on this stuff. We're going to start doing like consumer reports type stuff. Mm. Stay tuned on that. Yeah. That, that's what we all need to do in every state is like become our own. And that's, that, like, that's our success right now in Massachusetts. Like the tide is starting to turn. These big corporations like had to call a second hearing because they were blindsided. And it wasn't like one person. It wasn't one organization. It was like the whole community. Everyone is getting like really vocal and active in Massachusetts. And when that happens, it works. So I think we all need to start doing that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, just to kind of circle back on what you were saying of like, when you realize um, people might proclaim to have certain values, but then aren't necessarily embodying it when, when it really matters, um, you know, I'd love to touch on that a little bit because like I said, yes, there's been a lot of things that the organization has done. Um, and, you know, one thing that has been coming up a lot lately is the amount of money that's been donated um, to certain causes um, to, yeah, help release prisoners, for, for example, which is incredible. Absolutely, we need to do that. No one is saying that we don't need to do that. We absolutely need to do that. However, um, donating money is like the easiest, easiest action that you can take as a company. And the more challenging action, the more courageous and vulnerable action is to look within your own company and your own self, again, for that internalized white supremacy and exploitation, and to challenge yourself to understand the lived experiences of the people who work for you and how your position of power can either support them 
in a supportive or oppressive way. That's the tough work that we were asking them to engage in and that they refuse to do and are instead, um, again, engaging in union busting tactics, which is just discouraging their workers to have a voice. So ask yourself, why wouldn't a company want their workers to have a voice? Um, that should tell you everything that you need to know about a company first off. Um, that, that's what I found really offensive. I wanna, I'm going back on my Facebook to find that statement because I just think it's like, it's, it's what New England Treatment Access did. Amanda Rosatano did the same thing. I'm going to read it right now. Yeah. This is part of the statement that they released. And mm -hmm. exactly that. It's they know better than their employees. I'm going to read it quote for quote, no commentary. Here it goes. We believe our employees can and do engage directly with our management team on employment related issues. We do not believe our employees need to pay dues to a third party to address and work with management on any day-to-day -day issues that might arise in the workplace. We believe our open door relationship with employees has enabled us to have a success and also allows us to respond directly to employee concerns and better serve our employees and customers. I think the employees get to decide that by law mm -hmm. and just by ethics. Yeah, yeah. Well, it seems like they wanna decide for the employees. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, um, you know, I'm here to say that after, you know, like I said, almost two years of voicing concerns um, and really asking to engage in the decision making and asking for transparency from the company, um, it escalated to them firing three of the women who are the most outspoken about things and who were actually um, the people in place that other employees felt like they could come to because they didn't feel comfortable going to upper management. So we were kind of that in-between buffer um, to advocate for our colleagues and, you know, had been informally organizing for a very long time, coming together and addressing each other's concerns. And we were constantly discouraged from doing that, um, for advocating for each other. And, um, so yeah, that, that isn't the environment there, but what we're hoping to create and what we want to elevate with this message in addition to many things, but is around you know the type of leadership that we really value and that we all want to see and that we're trying to embody ourselves, um, which is you know heart-centered leadership. So it's about being courageous and standing in your integrity and um, really listening to the people around you and trying to lean in again to that discussion comfort. And I'm here to say that it is very uncomfortable. Um, as a white woman, obviously, I can turn some of this off when it comes to racial justice. Um, and that's a privilege, but I'm choosing to try to lean into it every single day. And I fail at it in more ways than one every single day. Um, but I'm willing to admit that and try my best every single day. And that's all we wanted from them is that same um, agreement to engage in this together. And so, you know, I have to ask myself if you're not willing to lead in that way of courage and integrity, um, then, then what are you leading? You're just leading your own um, destruction because capitalism eats up all of its resources and then it will destroy itself. So that's where we're headed if we don't change the course and really change the way that we lead and show up for each other um, and create our workspaces. And so to kind of touch more on that statement of theirs, um, you know, the way that the workplace actually is right now is that it's requiring 
all of the employees to armor up every single day that they go in there because they realize that it's led by people who are not willing to face racism head on, which in fact creates an unsafe environment. Um, so you can't expect wholehearted engagement from your employees um, because the message again is to keep your head down, shut up and sell weed. So that doesn't breed innovation and healing for communities. Um, so yeah, the, the statement that they released, unfortunately, isn't true. And um, I would encourage them to, to, to lean in and examine why are they hiding behind these statements rather than engaging in healing dialogue with their employees. Um, what part and, of it yeah. don't you feel is true, the statement? What was that? Uh, what part of the statement don't you think is true? Uh, the open door policy and just the part basically saying that they encourage, you know, employees to voice their opinions and all of that, because clearly that's not the case <laughs> um, with at least with the three of us. Um, and then how, how people have been treated since after really forming this union and going through all the steps. Um, yeah. And so yeah, there's a lot of a lot of things that we'd like to see changed in terms of leadership and management styles that people are facing at the store, um, but then also in the future for creating a better work environment um, and addressing the impacts of the war on drugs. And so one example, you know, other than donating money to causes is, okay, maybe providing jobs for those have been who have been impacted by the war on drugs. And so Let's take that example. So that's that's a great um, a great thing to attempt. Um, but again, it comes back to if you do not have systems of actively taking a stance against racism and actively educating yourself and your entire company on those experiences of people other than your own, um, then that environment won't be supportive for those individuals that you hire. That's what we realized as we diversified our team at home, that it'll rather be tokenizing and it'll force those individuals to assimilate into a white dominated space, which is a space that's dominated by capitalistic values, which value money more than black and brown bodies. And that's really what it boils down to. And also just having you know a few people in the executive leadership team who might have a certain heritage in their background does not mean that there's adequate representation, excuse me, and does not excuse refusing to understand the detrimental nature of your business practices or your fear around standing against institutions like the police or the prison industrial complex. Um, so that's really how this whole thing began at OM. That's why we began coming together organically and forming a union was because of this very issue. Um, and us saying that it's time for bold and courageous action to be made um, and that we need to create changes and create new systems that allow for the health of our planet and the well-being of workers to be prioritized before profits, just before. You can still worry about your profits, but just maybe think about that before. That's literally all we're asking <laughs> and all we want. Um, yeah. Uh, we have a phone number. Unfortunately, it's out. So don't try calling right now. It's not working. But we will read some of the com comments, maybe even some of the trolls. We got a couple trolls on here. 
It'd be I'm interesting sure. to uh, see who they're friends with. <laughs> My name is Mike Crawford. This is the Young Jerks. Uh, we are with Lisa Conine, and she works. She did work at Om of Medicine, um, which is owned. I'm like Om um, um, of Medicine. Say that three times. It's owned by Front Mission Dispensaries, and locally, some of us know Mission and Forefront, and they do definitely have some supporters, but. I don't see how anyone trolls someone who got fired for four yeah. Like if you're really at that place, I don't even have to look you up. You're a friggin' goon. You're an idiot, a moron, heartless idiot. That's me, yeah. Mike Crawford. I like to fight. Like to my girlfriend. I'd love to say something. Um, or Lisa. Because. I really want people to understand that it's possible to be grateful and to demand what you deserve and what you want to see at the world in the world at the same time. Um, there's confusion that they can't both coexist. Um, I'm very grateful for the experience I had at home. I'm so grateful to have worked in the cannabis space and to have the connection with the plant that I do. Um, none of that goes away by critiquing the system and asking for human decency and dignity to be considered into the equation and for workers to have a voice and to have a say in what happens in their workplace. Um, again, I just would ask people, why would a company not want their employees to have a voice and be able to come together as a unified force? Like, what are they so afraid of? That's my question. What are you so afraid of? Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's kind of the biggest thing that I want to say, say to that. And also that, you know, again, this is about a much larger vision, which is that the systems of our society should serve the health and well-being of the people and the planet. That's it. And really all it would take is people in positions of power to embody that and turn around and look at each other and declare it so and start to create those changes. And then we could actually see some, some rapid change. Um, it's really not as hard as I think we all are convincing each other that it is. Um, I think it can be much more simple. I know it's not that hard. I, I just believe that things are already getting better in Massachusetts just from the few unions that won, you know, recently. The union wins, the organizing, it does make a difference. It absolutely does. And it can mm -hmm. ripple and it can get bigger and larger and it, it does, definitely does improve things. Um, and you know what? The employee should have that right. It's it's their legal right. Like in Michigan, my girlfriend, Kamalita, just commented about uh, how Michigan, and again, we can't take your phone calls. If you want to leave a comment or ask a question, put it in the comments on the Facebook live feed. Um, but she mentioned that Michigan has like strong union, you know, laws, union rights, a lot of union support. Is that still the same in Michigan or is that changed? Yeah, so Michigan's always been like a pretty strong union state. I grew up in a union household, um, so there's definitely a lot of support. However, it is an at-will state, so um, you could be fired at any time for any reason. So really, we realized that our only attempt at protection was to form a union. Um, so that's kind of, you know, how we got here. And you're not the first uh, person that's been fired organizing a union in cannabis on this show. <laughs> cool. I'm a part of a club now. <laughs> and people want to act like this isn't an issue. Yeah. Like the, like the fact that we've had multiple people on here from different companies in different states 
same issues, people getting fired right when they start organizing. Yeah. Um, if you want to leave a comment, you can. November 7th, you're having the union election, as far as you know. You have a National Labor Review Board suit against them. The three of you are, are, have a complaint. That's what they call it. A complaint has mm -hmm. been filed. Um, I, you know, I, I'm really interested to see how that works out because it, usually from what I've seen recently, the employers don't win those. You know, if they're filed, there's a reason it was filed. Mm -hmm. and it will be heard. And the employers are usually out to lunch. That's what we're, we're seeing over and over again. They don't know what mm -hmm. they're in for. Um, how do you expect that to go? Lisa. Yeah, I mean, can't predict the future, um, but I absolutely believe that um, this is a necessary part of the process to most importantly set a precedent so that if this happens to anyone after us, that there's something on the book saying that, hey, this isn't okay. Um, that's what I'm most passionate about is trying to help others and protect others and let them know that they're not alone. And um, again, to set that precedent. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's pretty clear what happened. And so um, whatever it is that they try to say as a reason for why they wanted to get rid of the three of us, um, it really doesn't matter. And I'm not afraid of whatever um, that might be because um, this entire time, the three of us have stood in our integrity for what we're trying to do. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm not too worried about it. Um, I just think it's a necessary part of the process, like I said, to, to protect others mainly and make sure that people know that this is a system that's in place that they can utilize if they need to. Um, now, how are you personally? Are you, do you, I think you're working for the union union now, or do you looking for work or do you yeah, lose healthcare? I'm, I mean, during a pandemic, how are you doing since you lost your job? Yeah, thank you. Um, I'm doing well. Um, yes, I do have an underlying health condition, but I was able to um, get healthcare through the state of Michigan. Um, and yeah, I mean, we're helping to support the process at home. Um, and overall, I, I'm doing well because I have a lot of tools and support in my life um, and I'm very privileged for that, but a lot of individuals do not have that. So that's why I'm engaging in this work is to make sure that there's protections for others um, who might not be as in as much of a privileged position as myself. So I'm trying to use the, the somewhat grounded place I find myself in, in this chaotic process as a, um, you know, foundation to help others who might not have the same resources and to just provide support as, as much as I can. So yeah, that's, that's pretty much what I'm focused on right now, but yeah. yeah. It's about, I, I really like you. I think you're doing great work and I'm glad you. you came on the show to tell us about what happened here. Um, yeah. You know, looking at Michigan, because Michigan's like national headlines right now because of mm -hmm. the governor and Trump. Mm -hmm all this craziness that went on, um, but also because of the presidential vote. How do you think Michigan's, Michigan's going to vote? Are they going to vote uh, for Biden or are they going to vote for Trump? Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's hard to say. Um, I'm not sure. I was surprised last time. So I'm trying to stay hopeful and positive that people are tuning into their humanity again and um, really thinking about the collective um when they cast their votes that's um that's my hope <laughs> i hope so 
I mean, yeah. this is like, uh, I, I know a lot of people like, like my girlfriend upstairs, she's going to freak out. She's going to lose it if Trump wins again. And I, not that I won't, but I just feel like I can smoke a little weed and chill out. She doesn't, she doesn't use the cannabis, I guess. I don't know. But yeah, well, I think that that's important that you say that. And I'd love to touch on that in terms of, you know, if, you know, if, if that happens, um, how are we going to come together as communities and continue to resist this, oppressive oppressive system that we find ourselves in. Um, this is one way that I've realized that can happen. And so I would, you know, encourage anyone listening to lean into that if that does happen and find ways that you can get involved and um, continue to look out for one another and to look out for your community. And also um, really taking care of yourself through this process. It's extremely chaotic and taxing to all of our nervous systems as we're going through a pandemic and dealing with a fascist leader. Um, it's very intense on all of our, our systems. And so the other thing that I'm really passionate about and would love to see more, especially in the cannabis space is, you know, connecting to our breath and our body and really connecting to the earth and connecting to the plant itself um, that alone has healing properties and can help calm us down. Like you said, utilizing the smoking the plant, but then also just connecting to its essence and really tuning into to what the plant does and what it might have to say to you and informing your decisions from there. Um, so I'd love to actually lead like a short meditation, if I could, um, I think it'd be really fun. Even for all, yeah, even for all the trolls listening, I think you would really enjoy it too. Um, you deserve it too. Um, so if everyone, you know, just wants to close your eyes, this will just be for a, a moment. Um, I promise it won't hurt. Close your eyes. Um, just begin to tune into the natural rhythm of your breath. Uh, so just noticing the breath coming in through the nose and out through the nose. Allowing um, your body to settle into this moment here. And as you continue to breathe, you can begin to expand the breath down into the belly and feel the belly expand a little bit more. And then exhaling again out the nose. You can continue with that breath, inhaling deep into the belly. And then maybe exhale, exhale, excuse me, out the mouth this time. So that can help release things. Uh, so one more time like that, inhale deep into the belly. And then exhale out the mouth and continue with that breath. Continue with that breath there. And then next I'm gonna invite you to um, bring the picture of cannabis into your mind. So with your eyes closed, continuing to breathe, um, bring cannabis into the forefront of your mind. So if you use cannabis, if you have a relationship with it, that's great. If you don't, maybe just picture the cannabis plant itself. I'm sure we've all seen a beautiful picture of a cannabis plant. Um, and just breathe into that and see if any sensations arise in the body um, and just notice it. Um, tuning into the physiological response that the plant can invoke just by thinking about it um, is really, really powerful. Well, I'm gonna say, I, I, I was starting to shut my eyes a little bit and I kind of opened them and the breathing, it's hard for me to, you know, I think I'm more of a mouth breather anyways. But when you said <laughs> to breathe in the cannabis like that, it's amazing. Cause I could really like, I don't know, get that. Like it's a, 
I used to like, I'm a jock and, and I used to study like in uh, college, I took some courses on like sports psychology mm-hmm. and they've determined, and I brought this into my own coaching that you can, and I used to do this even before I knew it. Like we were practice moves in our mind. Mm-hmm. When they went into like training, they mm-hmm. found like, like an hour spent thinking about a move and training it in your mind, like just closing your eyes and visualizing the move, visualizing the routine. Mm-hmm. is almost as good as actually doing it. Like, especially for high level athletes that you already know the move, there's a learning process where you need to learn the moves and be physical and do them. But after you know a move or you know what that cannabis smells like, mm-hmm. it's amazing what we can do just in our minds without even the physical. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the reason why I did that is and wanted you all to do that and would encourage you to do that even more is to just sit with the cannabis plant for a minute and just breathe into how that feels is because we have such an intrinsic connection to it. And imagine if we all made decisions surrounding this plant from that embodied and grounded place. Um, it would be so different if we all slowed down and connected with each other and with the earth and with this plant and informed our decisions from there. Um, that's what we want to see. That's what I'm so excited about. That's what I believe we can create in this industry and in this world. Um, yeah. And so I'm really excited and I'm so thankful that I was able to come on and speak about that. Um, and, you know, in terms of action steps, if people listening want to support what's going on, um, you know, you can support the workers at home by following Michigan Cannabis Workers Rising on Facebook or Instagram. Um, we've got all the information there. We have our change.org org petition as well that you can sign. Um, if you're in Michigan, if you're in the area, come into the store, tell the workers that you support their efforts. They would really appreciate that. Um, and then, you know, support all unions, support workers' rights. Um, That's an incredible thing that we can do to um, support each other and listen to workers on the front lines and believe them, believe the experiences that they're having. It's not easy to speak up about these things. No one does this for fun. I can tell you that right now. Um, So believe them and listen to them and try to listen to their feedback on what they've experienced and what they'd like to see. Um, And, you know, of course, push for racial equity in all spaces and support black owned businesses in the cannabis space. There's a really great group called Canaclusive and they actually have a whole list of, it's called their accountability list for companies within the cannabis space where you can see how they've engaged in this work um, or not. And then also they have a list of all um, black owned businesses in the cannabis space. Um, But yeah, really this is a call to action for workers within the cannabis space to lean into courage, create connections with your coworkers. If you're listening to this and you're like, wow, um, I've experienced something similar, reach out to your coworkers and talk to them and come together and create those relationships and demand what you think you deserve. You do have the power and you have every right to do so. Um, And then yeah, take time to connect to the plant connect to your body and connect to your breath. We all are gonna need that to persevere through this time. And um, yeah, connecting even more to the plant and its healing frequency, I think is extremely important for how we create this industry moving forward. And then in general, I would encourage everyone listening to get very clear about your vision for the future. 
for our entire planet. So a vision for healing and equality and abundance for all. And what does that look like for you? And what does that look like for humanity as a whole? And get very clear about that and hold that vision in your mind every single day. Um, again, we need that to, to persevere through this time and to support each other. So that's what I'm here to say. <laughs> Thank you so much, Lisa. Lisa Conine, uh, she a former worker at Ohm of Medicine, Ohm My Forefront Mission Dispensaries, talking about her experience working there. And there's a big union vote coming up November 17th. You can support the workers. Again, it's Michigan Workers Rising. Michigan Cannabis Workers Rising. Michigan Cannabis Workers Rising. And it's on Instagram and Facebook. I know it's following the Facebook. I got to get on the Instagram now. Follow that. Yeah, yeah. Check it out. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Michigan Cannabis Workers Rising. And you also, again, you have the uh, the petition, the change.org petition. Mm -hmm. um, I, I would definitely encourage everyone to sign that if you haven't already. Um, I also would like to uh, just always mention, especially when we're covering these uh, union issues, labor issues, uh, we are 100%, you know, this show, The Young Jerks, we support union workers, uh, especially. And if you have anything that you want to let us know, any tips, if you're working at a dispensary and be, not being treated well, you can always send them our way uh, on Twitter. And we keep people, you know, we, we definitely will keep you anonymous. Uh, if you want help reaching out to a union representative, we, we can help you with that as well. Um, but definitely, we want to hear uh, your stories in the cannabis space from, you know, employees. And if it's a good story, great. Well, we like to know those too. So um, I just want to make sure people are aware that they can send us info and we're open to it. And it's at the Young Jerks. I'm wondering if I should read any more instant feedback or comments. Uh, I'll, I'll read Kamalita since I know that's safe. She says, union busting is a federal offense. I don't know if they call it union busting though, do they? They don't, we do. <laughs> we do, yeah, Carm does. She, she said some more stuff about, uh, and, um, yeah, it's funny. I, I wanna say some of the stuff she said about people uh, that are union busters, but I, I don't know if I should, I might get in trouble her yeah um actually here's a good question hmm. and this is someone who's friends with chris crane i know that and he's a he's a black guy he's a good guy i like him i'm ronnie white he's uh someone that's actually opened a dispensary in boston and i think chris has probably helped them out giving them some you know advice and support and he's asking um I'm curious the racial makeup at the store that wants to unionize and the racial makeup of the surrounding community. Um, uh, this conversation on what's happening in Michigan feels racially tone deaf when Forefront is supporting an economic empowerment applicant. I guess he is getting support from him in Massachusetts. They have been amazing supporters to us. Um, I don't want I can't read it all because it's too long, but I'm just reading some of it. Claims of union busting is one thing, but being a white woman calling forefront racist doesn't feel like your place, to be honest. What would your kind of response to that be, I guess? Yeah, that's super fair. And I appreciate that feedback. Um, and, you know, there's other uh, employees of color at OM that I think would be willing to speak on this as well. Um, but essentially, I'm super glad that they've helped your business out and that they've helped other people out. Um, this isn't necessarily an attack at Chris Crane at all, um, but I think that there's other people who are, you know, calling the shots at Forefront who do not 
carry the same values as Chris Crane, and we've seen that firsthand. Um, so if he, that gentleman that made the comment hasn't been exposed to that yet, then that, that's just what it is. Um, I, again, appreciate his feedback and, and I know that I'm coming at this from a position of a white woman, um, but I'm also speaking the collective uh, feedback of the very diverse team that we have at home from a very uh, diverse yeah, company. I wanna mention that too, because that, that brings up a good point. Our conversations, you actually wanted to bring on some current employees, but we kind of, we don't want them to get fired. We don't want to get, you know, cause yeah. them problems. And you are right. You were, because you were fired, you become like the kind of the vocal representative of the group. I mean, that's just the way these things work. My friend, uh, Greg Hausch is kind of famous and he became what they called, and I don't, I don't even know if I should say it because people get mad, but, uh, there's a movement called the anonymous movement and they don't like when you use names it's kind of the opposite of the cannabis movement the cannabis movement used to get upset at people when they wouldn't use their real names the anonymous movement you, you don't use your real name and when he got exposed uh because he led a protest and his name was on the permit and scientology sued him he became the public face of anonymous even though he didn't want to be he's like you know there's no one that's you know anonymous running the anonymous movement but he kind of became that him and this Barrett Brown and Barrett Brown because he was a journalist covering anonymous. I mean, it's just, it's a weird thing when you become, you know, put to the forefront and it's not always your fault. It's because you got fired. I mean, that's, that's the situation here. Right. Yeah. Right. Lisa. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and again, I, I don't claim to, um, ever understand the lived experiences of my black and brown um, colleagues at home. Um, but I'm trying to do my best to use the position that I find myself in to elevate their experiences and elevate the concerns that they've shared with me and many others. Um, and yeah, so I would just encourage that individual to maybe dig in a little bit to the company and the current leadership that it has and maybe ask Chris some questions about the people who are running the company and um, the work that they're engaging in beyond um, donating money and funding equity applicants. What else are they doing within their company to address structural and systemic racism? Um. There was also another comment from Kamalito. You know, my girlfriend, I mentioned her several times on the show, but she's a former union organizer herself. Uh, she was the uh, shop secretary at uh, Boston University for UAW. So she knows quite a bit about lab, you know, labor law and federal law. And uh, she says the fired employees also have a case for retaliation. It's a federal law. This needs to be brought to the labor board. And I will report Kamalita, it is being brought to the labor board. And I'm glad she brought that up because from what I know about unions and just generally the National Labor Review Board, this is going to be like probably a slam dunk case for you. Like three of you got fired on the day that the union basically announced themselves to the employer. And I know that some people are on here defending Forefront, but I don't see them defending that. Like, are yeah. they going to defend it when Forefront loses the lawsuit? Are they going to, I mean... I'm yeah. just putting out rhetorical questions to some people commenting on some of the comments here. Sure. I just wonder. Yeah. Because you feel like you're going to win. And you, you seem very confident. Before we let you go, Lisa, you seem very confident that when this union election is ha held November 17th, that you would win. 
Mm-hmm. Is that like just being positive and optimistic or do you have like actual numbers, employees, you know, who's going to vote which way? Yeah. I mean, like I said before, we have an incredible team. Um, we all love each other like family and this whole experience has brought us together in um, the most unique and special way. And yeah, everyone is supportive of this cause and this movement. And yeah, like I said, it's just getting to the vote date um, and dealing with all the tactics that they're going to um, impose on current employees until then. But yeah, we're very confident that um, we will have a successful vote. So Um, another question someone asked, I I say it's the last question before, but it's not because I got a couple more questions here. But he asked, is Michigan passed a uh, right to work, uh, right to work law? Did they do you know that? Mm-hmm. They did. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yep. oh, Michigan. Yep. <laughs> oh, good. Um, I I guess my one of my last I guess this would probably be the last question. Okay, cool. <laughs> if if you win, let's say that November seventeenth, a union gets brought in, mm-hmm. you know, voted in. Now there's contract negotiation. Mm-hmm. If they were forced to bring you back because I've seen this happen before to another friend of mine. She fought for a union. She got fired. Mm-hmm. The Triangle Three, I think they call them, and she was the one that they actually brought back. They were forced to, part of the contract negotiations to bring her back, mm-hmm. and she's like a single mom. She's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, I, I, I follow her on Facebook. She won the big award, and you know they had to bring her back. Would you? Is that something you would consider, or would you? You're just over home. You, you're going wherever you're going next, or would you want to go back to your job? Yeah, I mean, that's not really something that I want to discuss on here, but um, just in general, I'm focused on um, the larger picture now and creating um, solutions within the industry and just supporting the workers there and making sure that they get what they want and deserve and need out of their contract negotiation. See, you answer like that, and I just can't see how anyone can get mad at you. I'll give you any crap on our Facebook feed <laughs> unless they have some personal that's what I think it I think it's all agenda based I really do because I want to thank you so much for calling you know calling in I don't know what we call this a video call I guess that's what we call them now but I want to thank you for spending time with me tonight and and dealing yeah, with, I'm like, I feel like I'm always a little awkward on this stuff but I'm even worse because I have like this echoing going on every time I talk that's okay. You're doing great. I sound terrible. I want to talk less and less as I go along. Maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> but I want to thank you again, Lisa Conan, for yeah. spending time with me and, and mm-hmm. answering all my questions. Um, we left people with some steps to do. Number one, Michigan Cannabis uh, Workers Rising. Join mm-hmm. their Instagram and their Facebook page. Uh, there's also a change petition, change.org. Org, is mm-hmm. that right? Yep, and you'll find that on the social media pages. That's right. And it's also on our Young Jerks uh, Facebook groups. You can find that definitely. We'll post it again tonight just so people that's there. And we'll cool. post it in the comments on our Twitter and our Facebook feeds. So if it's not there now, check in a half hour. It will be there. We'll put it as a comment so people can find it. Um, again, I want to thank you so much for coming on. And I want to um, put out the invitation through you and through anyone who's listening that you know, any of the other former employees that were recently fi- let go, fired, mm-hmm. if they want to come on the show, they're welcome. Definitely love to interview them or any current employees or past employees. I am definitely interested in covering this. It's 
you know, from everything I hear, three of you were let go the day they announced the union. And then to top it off, they put out this statement that just, I hate these kind of statements. I hate this. It's union busting. Mm -hmm. That's what drives me crazy the most. And and you were great tonight. So I want to thank you so much again, awesome. uh, Lisa Cohen, for coming on tonight. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> and uh, with the young jerks, I'm sorry we didn't get the phone calls. Uh, I really appreciate everyone leaving comments and even some people arguing. We will get the phone calls fixed. Believe me, we're going to continue to work on it. I don't know how it's so weird because we worked that out and it worked and then it doesn't when we go live. So we'll see what happens. Uh, we're the young jerks. We'll be back again. I want to again, thank Lisa Conine for uh, coming in and uh, we'll see you on Friday night, 7 PM with Fabricio De Silva. He's a uh, union man over at uh, uh, UFCW 1445. And we're going to talk all about what's going on in the Massachusetts movement and specifically uh, with what's going on New England, New England treatment access and how they just lost at the National Labor Review Board, which is going to happen when the, I think to Forefront Mission when Lisa's case gets heard. So uh, we're still covering it and we'll see you soon Friday night. Thanks everyone for listening. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. I know. <laughs>